Stay connected this winter with this unbeatable deal from BreezeLine. Get reliable, fiber-powered internet for just $19.99 per month with all-in pricing for two years. But that's not all. Your first month is on us. This deal gets better with a free modem and installation along with free Wi-Fi your way whole home coverage. Safeguard your network from cyber threats and keep all your devices connected and secured with this amazing offer. Act now. Terms and conditions apply. Offer expires March 3rd, 2024. Learn more at BreezeLine.com. Saving money on everything for your projects. Now at Menards. We have it all for garden and landscaping essentials. Visit our outdoor garden center today and update your backyard space. Grid accents lattice panels have a timeless design with an innovative design that's simple to install and requires almost no maintenance. Save big on lattice panel options at Menards. View our entire selection of garden center products today on Menards.com. Save big money at So Sharon, we're looking at a video right now. Can you describe what we're seeing? It's footage of a bright fluorescent lit room. The white walls are so bare to the point you wonder if they apply a fresh coat of paint every now and then. The room is empty, except for a couple chairs and a large white table at its center. There's an Asian man sitting off on one side. He's basically in the corner and he's sort of trapped in between the table and the wall there's hardly any room for him to move around. The whole thing is shot from up high, like CCTV or something, and it's pixelated, so it's tricky to make out the man's expression. But he's rummaging through his pockets, checking how much money he has in his wallet. In short, he's fidgeting. Do you know who this person is? Yes, it's Robin Cho, and this is an interrogation room. I'm Sharon Choi. And I'm Ben Adair. You're listening to Strangeland, Season 1, The Koreatown Murders. This is Episode 3. The Case Against Robin Cho, Part 1. On March 16, 2009, LAPD finally meets Robin Cho face-to-face when they bring him in for a conversation. It's the usual scene you've seen in any police procedural, just without the light bulb flickering in the dark. Eventually, he's joined by two LAPD detectives, the same detectives that worked the case against Pyong Song. Brian McCartan and George Shamlian. There's also an interpreter for the LA District Attorney Office named Scott Peck. McCartan has a pretty strong East Coast accent, Shamlian's a little more soft-spoken, while Peck's voice is a little deeper. You'll hear them all on the tape. Okay, let's do this. I know your name, but I just had to verify. Uh, your last name is Cho? Yeah. C-H-O? Yeah. Mm-hmm. First name is Robin? Yeah. Is that the name you go? Is it your Korean name or it's English name? No, that's English name. Okay, and your middle name? Uh, Chu. Okay, what's your uh, maiden, I mean, not a maiden, born name? Well, it's uh, Chu Bin, K Y U B I N. K Y U B I N, okay. And what's your date of birth? This is LAPD's first chance to talk with Robin Cho. So, this is 
March, the police were notified about the DNA match the previous November. So about six months of case building is leading up to this. Correct. So at this point, the detectives already know Cho's DNA was a hit for the glove fragments found at the crime scene. Right. Those were the really big latex glove fragments, like half a finger. And they were found in the tape used to tie up one of the victims, the mom, Cherise Song. Yes. There was other DNA found at the scene alongside the other two victims, the nanny and the two-year-old son. But Cho matched on the gloves. So what else do they know about Cho? They know about his troubled finances, that he declared bankruptcy. And they know about his fraud. But they don't come out and tell him any of that. What have they told him? Why does Cho think he's here? They've told him that they're new on the case and that they're re-interviewing folks who lived in the apartment building at the time. Sort of routine, just getting to know the case sort of thing. And uh, you said you work for your parents, so you do like a home care? Yeah. Home care, yeah. at home, okay, parents' home care. What's their address, do you know? The address is to... Uh, After a series of basic questions like this, they begin explaining to Cho why he's here. What we are doing is, uh, we ask you to come here, and you agree to come here. You know, we didn't handcuff you, we didn't bring you against your will. Again, you're not under arrest, you can leave anytime you want to. However, what our job is, we, three of us assigned the case recently, okay? And what we're doing is, we're contacting all the people who live in the apartment building in Maslin and trying to get their uh, statements. Mm-hmm. And it was a triple murder where three people were killed in, mm-hmm. in uh, your old apartment building, 630 South right. Haslin, yeah. on the fourth floor. Mm-hmm. I don't know, does, you remember that incident? Yeah. Oh, okay. Well, it is a widely news coverage there. Oh, okay. What do you What do you remember about that day? Were you there that day? Uh, well, yeah. The, the only thing I can remember right now is I came home uh, late... Uh, like, uh, I don't know, six, seven, then I thought that I couldn't get into the... Uh, One question, Sharon. Why haven't the police talked to Cho before? Wouldn't they have canvassed the building at the time of the murders, maybe run into him then? They did question neighbors at the time, but it's a big building, 168 units. The victims lived on the fourth floor, the Cho's on the first. And back then, no one in the building reported hearing or seeing anything suspicious. Right. I remember you saying that nobody saw anything weird. Nobody heard the six gunshots. You know, it still strikes me as very strange. Now, what did you did you get up at a certain time and go to work in the morning? Is that what happened? What time did you leave that day? Oh, normally I leave because uh, I have to take my uh, the, I went to school around School starts at 8.10, so I normally leave somewhere like at 7.45 and uh, 7.50 that time. That's the first time I leave, yeah. So you drop him off at school. Now, this is 2003, May 5th, which was a Monday, I believe. <laughs> I, 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 I don't think I can remember yeah, I everything, know. but a, yeah, yeah. what would you have normally done, or do you remember exactly what you did that day? After you dropped him off at school, what did yeah. you do? Where did you go? What did you do? Did you remember? Well, I, I came back. Home. Oh, okay. Yeah. What time did you come back home, you think? Oh, normally about uh, somewhere between uh, 8, 8, 10, something okay. like that. And then what? What did you do that? Then uh, on that day, 
you know, I, I think I have to see my schedule on that day because oh. I... So you have a diary? That, yeah, yeah, okay. yeah. From yeah. back then, you still have it? I have, yeah, some, some of them back then. Wait, why would Cho hold on to his schedule from 2003? So this is what he explains to the cops. In 2003, he was being sued for fraud, and he was filing for bankruptcy. He says the people who were suing him were making threats against him. He claims his attorney at the time told him to write down the dates of these threats in his planner, along with what he did every day. Huh. Okay. And so Cho needs to check his planner because he can't remember everything that he was up to on that specific day in 2003. I mean, that seems reasonable to me. It was six years ago. What happens next? The detectives continue pressing Cho about the day of the murders. What do you remember? Anything unusual about that day? Any strange people in there that didn't look that right or cars that didn't belong, anything like that? No, the, uh, the thing is I parked right next to the uh, those uh, the family who... The songs? Yeah. The... You, you, do you know the, the people that were killed? No, we, they, we never talked about the, uh, their car parking stall was right next to mine. Oh, okay. In the, the same garage, in the, the uh, ground level. Wait, so there is a connection? Yes, this is interesting. Even though their apartments were on totally separate floors, Cho says his parking space in the garage was right next to the Songs. They were neighbors, or at least their cars were neighbors. This catches Detective McCartan's attention. He shows Cho a photograph of Cherise Hong. This woman, her name is Cherise. Did, did you ever see her there in the apartment? Well, we see a couple of times. We ran into a couple of times, but we never talked. But So you weren't friends with them? You didn't socialize? You didn't no. go to their house? They didn't come to your apartment? No. Then McCartan shows Cho a photograph of the nanny, Eun-sik Min. They had a nanny that used to take care of the little one. Mm. Did you ever see them walking through the? They used to take evidently take walks through the hallways and no, I that never, type of thing in the I pool never, area. No, no, I don't think I never saw the nanny. Never saw the nanny. Okay. To you, did you did they they look as though they had some money and they were wealthy? No, all the Koreans drive nice cars. You know, they they whether they have money or not, they always drive Mercedes, you know, BMW. Yeah, it's the reason we're trying to asking you that is to see if somebody would have saw that and thought, oh, maybe they got money, you know, that type of thing. You know, they have, they're well, looking I, wealthy. I don't think. You know. What What did you hear happened? What did I hear about happened? Yeah. Well, I just basically uh, know what the uh, news coverage. What What does saying. well What do you What do you remember hearing? What What did they the news saying? Did you remember? Oh, they were they were saying they have some. Uh, between some sort of a problem between husband and wife. That's that's what I heard in the news. But then what did they say happened to? How many people, do you know how many people were killed? Yeah, it's uh, so three. Three. Do you know yeah. who, which ones were killed? Do you remember? Mm, yeah, I know uh, wife was killed and one boy and one grandma or something like that. Yeah. You know how they were killed? Did they, did they hear that? Yeah, I heard he was uh, killed with the, uh, some sort of execution style. Execution style? Yeah. Did it say what kind of weapon was used? No. The, the news didn't no, say the that? No, the news didn't say that. Uh -huh. They saw some sort of gun, but I don't know about the uh -huh. gun. 
You have a gun? Do you own any guns? No, I never. Were you ever in the military or anything? No. What, um, now, we talk with your neighbors. The interview becomes sort of grueling in its length. Cho answers question after question after question about his wife. And you said you're legally married. Yeah. Where she works. She works at the vitamin store? Yeah. And does she have a cell phone? Questions about Cho's 90-year-old mother. Is she able to talk? If we go to interview her? She doesn't know. Yeah. She, she's losing her senile a little bit? Yeah, yeah. And his disabled sister. So this is a disabled sister who lived in 133 with your mother? Who live in the same building. How about your sister? Will she talk with us? Not really. She, no. She's been disabled for a long time. How is she disabled? About the work Cho does at his brother's dental office. You help your brother's insurance claim or do you help him do a like no, I, scaling? I, I, and no, I, I, no, no, not that. I used to work... Uh... Okay, they're covering a lot of ground here. Yeah. I mean, this is the first time they've ever talked with Cho, so they're going to get as much as they can. And after all that grilling, the detectives circle back to their original line of questioning. What do you remember exactly that day? That's what my question is. What do you remember specifically what happened that day? If, if, you, do any, if you remember anything, do you remember? What do you remember? On the, that day? Yes. Okay, they're asking him again if he remembers. Does Cho respond the same way he did the first time? Initially, he does, yes. Cho gives the same answer as before, his best guess about when he left in the morning. But then, Cho says... I, I'm sure that the, I on that day I was in the... Uh, probably... Because uh, I... Probably I went to the valley in the morning that day. Then I... What time do you think you went to the valley? Oh, that I left like right after my wife left, so... Okay. Valley being to her brother's office? Where, uh, where Valley? No, San Francisco, Granada Hills. So your brother's at dental office? Uh, probably I that day because I had to return my uh, key because I wasn't uh, able to go out there and work anymore, so... Uh, uh, Why were you not allowed to work there anymore? Huh? I you couldn't work there anymore. No, not not allowed to work, but the uh, I didn't want to work anymore because I was about to, you know, filing bankruptcy. Oh. You know. mm-hmm. Wait, Granada Hills? He didn't say any of this before. I know his story is changing, but to be fair, this happens all the time when people get questioned by the police. They get stressed out and start saying things, anything, in an attempt to appease them somehow. Hmm. I mean, maybe, but whatever the reason, his story is changing, and he looks really uncomfortable. He does. And as the detectives pivot to their next line of questioning, Cho gets even more uncomfortable. Have you ever been inside of their apartment? I don't Would there be any reason that any of your belongings be inside their apartment? My belongings? Yes. I mean, it sounds like the detectives are getting much more pointed in their questioning. They're turning up the heat. Yes, but here's the thing. Interrogations are complete psychodramas. One misstep can spin things in a totally different direction. And what's happening on the surface, what we're seeing here on these tapes, it's only a part of what's going on in that room. So I found a former LAPD detective and top interrogation expert He's going to break down exactly what's going on here. 
And for Robin Cho, things are about to get even heavier. That's right after the break. Save big money on everything for your spring projects at Menards. We have all of your garden and landscaping essentials. Master Garden Premium Garden Soil contains a slow-release fertilizer that feeds gardens for up to nine months. It produces better results and is ready to use for all your gardening needs. Save big on Menards' great selection of garden and landscaping products. Compare brands in-store or online at Menards.com. Save big money at March into spring with this unbeatable deal from BreezeLine. Get reliable, fiber-powered, one-gig internet for $59.99 per month, plus a $150 gift card and price lock guarantee. This deal gets even better with a free modem, free installation, and free Wi-Fi your way home. Safeguard your network from cyber threats and manage user access for all connected devices with this amazing offer. Act now. Terms and conditions apply. Offer expires May 6, 2024. Learn more at BreezeLine.com. What's a successful interrogation? Cops will say, well, it's when you come out of the room with that yellow legal pad and they've written out every single thing that they did and signed it on the bottom. That never happened in my entire 35 years of my career. This is Paul Bishop, regarded as one of LAPD's best interrogators. A successful interrogation is any time you leave the room with something that advances the investigation. So any little tidbit that you gain during the course of that interrogation that can give you a direction for the investigation, that's a successful interrogation. Paul is a retired 35-year LAPD veteran. He spent 25 years as a detective. For the last part of my career, I ran a sex crimes unit with 30 detectives that covered about 25% of the city. And here's the thing when you're investigating sex crimes, Everything is he said, she said. So the only way to get close to the truth is through using interrogation and interview techniques. Paul's done way more interrogations than he can remember. We're talking thousands of interviews and interrogations, which are two different things. An interview is where you're trying to get information from somebody that they want to give you. An interrogation is where you're trying to get information from somebody that they don't want to give you. Oh, okay. So even though the detectives brought Cho in and gave him the impression this was an interview, it's not. This is definitely an interrogation. Correct. So I showed Paul the whole clip of the detective's next line of questioning, where Cho seems to get more and more uncomfortable. Have you ever been inside of their apartment? No. Their family? Never been inside? Okay. Um, Would there be any reason that any of your belongings mm-hmm. be inside their apartment? My belongings? Yes. Any? Uh, well, I have my, uh, the, you know, the golf cart, mm-hmm. the pulling golf cart is, uh, I always put it in front of my parking stall there. Okay. With the, uh, uh, I don't know if they, I don't think they used it, but they, I, I keep them in the, uh, their, from my car, so. Oh, so it's out, kind of out in the open in the parking area. Yeah. But not. I'm talking about inside their apartment. No, no. no. Okay. What's a golf cart? What is it? Golf hand cart, like a pulling. So what's what's in the cart when you leave it outside? You said your uh, what's in the cart usually? 
No, it, it, not in the car. There's a small box next to the parking. The front of the uh, parking, there is a room like this much, all right? Okay. The front of the, uh, your, when you pull the car in, okay. there's a room this much. Okay. You can leave your unusing item in the front of the, uh, the space. Like okay. a golf cart, your bicycle, okay. your you know cleaning the items that you do the car cleaning. Okay. You leave it there. Okay. It's, a lot of people do that. Okay. Is it locked or it's unlocked? No, it's unlocked. It's, okay. it's, nobody takes there in the parking, and then so you just leave your stuff down there. But what's what's in there? What's in the golf cart? No, golf cart itself is just cart. cart. Okay. And sometimes it's the, the, my glove is too wet. And just put it on the top of the car to let it dry. Glove? Yeah. Did you use uh, plastic gloves? Plastic? Yeah. Well, I always uh, everyone has a plastic glove. I normally carry the uh, the glove in the uh, because I have very sensitive hand. Mm -hmm. So uh, whenever I do the uh, open the car hood, I wear the glove and put it in the uh, the next to the box there. This, yeah. I don't understand. The, the vinyl glove thing. I don't understand what you're saying. No, see, I have a, a very sensitive and allergic to uh, the oil and stuff. Okay. So whenever I clean house. Okay. And they cl clean the car. Okay. They spray the uh, on the uh, the uh, the armor treatment thing. Okay. Yeah, I wear glove. Yeah. Wow, they are really zeroing in on the gloves now. And Cho, I mean, just look at him. His voice is cracking. He looks nervous. I wanted to ask Paul what he thought of Cho's behavior. But before I could, he jumped in with something else. Something that didn't even occur to me. You see the table that's in there? Yeah. That table is taking up over half of the room. Now, I see tables in interrogation rooms all across the country. And they are so big that it looks like the room had to be built around them to get them in there. <laughs> yeah. I, I, that table is nothing but a barrier between you and the suspect. Mm. I, I will never sit in a room with a table. I get those tables out of there as soon as possible. I set up two chairs, one for the suspect, one for me. And I will sit in front of the suspect within about two to three feet of them and have a face-to-face -face communication with him. Mm -hmm. If you look at these clips, the gentleman in question here, he's got his arms crossed on the table. He is locked in. How can I see any of his body language from the top part of his body when he's got himself locked in with his hands on the table? He's hiding from me. Oh, that's interesting. So this big table, it's not just getting in the way of the people in the room. It's getting in the way of what the detectives are trying to do. Right. And then something else caught Paul's attention. Look at what else they're doing. They're sitting there writing in their yellow pads. Right? First of all, you can't write as fast as somebody can speak. So you're constantly having to say, hold up, hold up, wait a minute. Plus, the second the suspect says something and you start writing it down, where do they go? Oh, heck, what did I just say? You know, if they're guilty, you are giving them that pause. What are you doing when you're writing on a pad? Where, do you, where are your eyes? They're on the pad. They're not on the suspect. They need to be on the suspect so that you see the reactions to your questions. So again, 
It's another small thing that detectives are doing that Paul feels is actually making their jobs more difficult. And after talking about the table and the yellow legal pads, Paul weighed in on Robin's explanation about the gloves. There is um, some very strange behavior on the part of Mr. Cho, but I don't believe it's deceptive behavior. Mm -hmm. I believe it's cultural behavior. Um, I don't believe English is his first language. It's not. So I think he's having a little trouble expressing himself. Um, he also doesn't understand why they're asking these questions. Mm. And so he doesn't understand what answer to give them. It hasn't been made clear to him. So there's a language issue here um, of being understood on both sides. What do you mean um, by strange behavior? What did you notice? Um, he's, he's making funny little jerky, you know, he's trying to show taking the gloves off with his hands, but his body's very jerky and, and he really isn't making himself clear. If English was his first language, I would be seeing those hesitations in his way to explain it as him literally preparing to lie to me. Mm. But here it's different. The interrogation continues. The detectives keep pressing Cho about the gloves. Are you talking about like, you know, uh, the big no, red no, one? No, 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 no. The disposable the glove. Disposable glove? Yeah. Then you reuse it or you said you leave it there. What, what do you mean by that? No, because, you know, once you use it, you know, it's too, I mean, you once you use it, mm -hmm. it's, I mean, you don't want to just throw them away. You keep using it until it's just worn out. The one, you know, one finger rip out and throw away and put the new glove. Cho is displaying the same unusual body language throughout this clip. But to Paul Bishop, this doesn't necessarily signal deception. It could be more evidence of a cultural divide. Those things that I might see as deceptive in another suspect, I didn't see as deceptive in Mr. Cho's case because I'm making an allowance for that cultural confusion. If your behavior is consistent up to a point and all of a sudden it becomes inconsistent, that's a sign of deception in general. But the fact is, the inconsistency here can be explained by the language differences. Mm. And I do feel that, that Mr. Cho is under stress here, which is fine, but because he doesn't understand what's going on. Sharon, mm -hmm. this seems like a really important point. Is Cho acting strange because he's guilty? Or is it because he's out of his element, out of his culture, maybe confused and maybe trying to say the right thing without knowing what the right thing is? I mean, you're bilingual. You're an interpreter. How does that sound to you? Well, I mean, it's really difficult to explain what it's like to have an important conversation in a foreign language to people who've never gone through it. I remember, you know, when I first moved to the U.S. as a little kid, I didn't speak any English. And I developed all these nervous tics, like I was biting my fingernails all the time, I was shaking my leg, and I was just very antsy because I felt so uncomfortable all the time. Hmm. And it took a long time for me to get rid of those habits. That anxiety was just constantly present throughout my years in the U.S. Because, you know, it's like you have all these things you 
know you want to say. They're very concrete in your mind and in your head, but there's no way to let it out. There's no way to communicate that. So it's like you're mentally constipated all the time. And it's also a very physical experience. It's not just something that's internal. You know, your body just tenses up and your mind goes blank. And no matter how smooth you are normally, you just kind of lose that composure. And so even though Robin chose pretty fluent in English, this may be what's happening here. Right. And it's about to happen again. After the line of questioning about the gloves, the police wrap up the interrogation. Okay. All right, we're all done? Yeah. All right. All right. Do you have any questions No. No questions? No. Okay. Thank you for your time. All right. Cho stands to leave. But they stop him to ask one more time about his planner. And you still have the journal, right? Well, I can look it up because, uh, you know, it should be somewhere in the cabinet or the or my bankruptcy. On the okay. record, that journal. Yeah, I can. After this, Robin Cho leaves the station. And the detectives go talk to the number two person on their list. Song Ha Cho, Robin Cho's wife. And that's where a single word may have changed the whole trajectory of this investigation. That's coming up right after the break. Want the same expert advice you get from the pros in the store while shopping online at DiscountTire.com? Meet Treadwell, your personal online tire guide that matches you with the perfect tire for your vehicle. Get your best match in one minute or less with Treadwell by Discount Tire. They say plants like music. Yeah, no, like really, they, they respond to the vibrations of it, which means that this playlist you're listening to, the plants are too. You know what else plants like? Organic soil from miracle Grow. It's made with all the best stuff like wood fiber and compost. Plus, it's OMRI certified organic, which officially means it's made with superior ingredients. And when you give your plants the stuff that makes them happy, they won't judge you on your iffy playlist. Hear that, plants? So go ahead and give them miracle Grow. So after the police finish with this interrogation of Robin Cho, they go talk to his wife, Song Hwa Cho, who goes by her Christian name, Puna. We don't have the recording of that conversation, but we do have the transcript. And they pretty much start with Puna the same way they started with Robin. Detective McCartan gives her the same line, quote, we're interviewing every tenant in the building because we're new on the case. Then they ask her a lot of the same questions, did you know the songs? Did you see them around the apartment? Do you remember the day of the murders? Puna answers primarily in Korean, translated by Scott Peck, the DA interpreter. And mostly, she says she doesn't know. She didn't really know the songs. Didn't even know that was their last name. They would say hi when they saw each other around the apartment, but nothing more than that. As for the day of the murders, all she remembered was that she came home after work, and the garage had been blocked off by police. She only heard about the murders later, when she read about them in the newspaper or heard people gossiping about it at church. Eventually, the detectives ask Pona about the gloves, trying to figure out if Robin's story about keeping the gloves near their car was true. They start by asking her if there was anything in front of their parking space, 
if people had cabinets or lockers for storing stuff. And in that interview, she told the police, no, that they didn't keep anything down in their parking space. Her story and Robin's story weren't the same. So I asked her about that. I didn't remember. It was six years ago. We had this space in front of our parking space, and we'd leave a box there for things Robin would use to clean our cars. But when they asked me, they asked if I left any objects in the parking lot. Just any object. That's what they said. A lot of people leave stuff in the parking lot. Small furniture that doesn't fit inside their homes, children's bicycles, toys, stuff like that. But we didn't really leave anything there. They asked me that question. I didn't think they meant a box for cleaning supplies. They asked me if we left any objects there. So I thought about objects that you normally use. And we didn't keep any bicycles there or anything really. So I told them that, and they thought our stories didn't match. But Robin did keep a box for cleaning supplies. He had a paper box where he'd keep cloths for wiping. But I didn't think they were asking about that. I thought they were referring to objects we were actively using. And so when they asked that, I said we didn't keep anything there. But they asked Robin and me separately, and thought our answers didn't match. So when she says she's confused about quote-unquote objects in the parking lot, is that a poor word choice on the part of the police? Is she stressed out about talking to the police and the confusion's more on her part? What do you think? I think it's both. McCartan uses the word stuff, which Peck translates into burgon, which means thing, stuff, matter, object, and the whole spectrum of referring to a thing. Puna says she thought they were referring to something more significant here, which is not purely a linguistic issue, but I guess confusion on her part. But it's more understandable considering that McCartan and Peck's next question was, quote, so did you ever store a bike or any other thing there? Brugon, the word Peck used, is such a broad term that the definition of Brugon would depend on the follow-up, which in this case was a bike. This could have led Pona to assume that the word brugon was referring to an object more significant than just a pair of gloves. Well, I mean, it could have. But that depends on whether or not Bona's is telling the truth about any of this. I mean, this is the type of thing you might say if you're trying to cover for your husband. Do you have any reason to believe what she's telling you is true? I do, yeah. After interviewing Bona, I went back and listened to Cho's interrogation again. And a moment stuck out that didn't register the first time I listened to it. Hmm, what moment was that? Well, Ben, you've already heard it. We listened to it in the last segment. So what's what's in the card when you leave it outside? You said you're, uh, what's in the card usually? No, it, it, not in the card. There's a small box next to the parking. The front of the uh, parking, there is a room like this much, all right? Okay. So you can leave your unusing item in the front of the uh, the space. Like okay. a golf cart, your bicycle. Okay. Your... Oh, right. Cho does say bicycle to the interrogator. So that gives some credibility to Bona's story. I think it does, yeah. But it's not even clear if he's saying he kept a bicycle in the parking garage or if someone in general could keep a bicycle in the garage. Right. So in our everyday lives, these types of miscommunications are negligible. They don't really matter. 
But in a high-stakes situation like an interrogation, where every spoken word is scrutinized, a little miscommunication like this can have huge implications. Cho told the detectives that he stored gloves in the parking garage, and if Pona is to be believed, this misunderstanding made it seem as though that was a lie. Hmm. So what happened next? So while the detectives have been questioning Pona, another group of police have been tailing Robin Cho. They haven't arrested him. They haven't detained him. They're just waiting to see what he does next. Right, I know about this. This is actually a technique. The cops call it the tickle. Sometimes detectives will interrogate someone in part just to sort of get under their skin, shake them up a little bit. Mm -hmm. And then they release them, put them under surveillance just to see what they do next. You know, they're shaken, they're stressed out. Their behavior could be very telling. Where do they go? Who do they call? That's exactly what they did in this case. They did put Cho under surveillance. So, Sharon, what'd they see? They saw quite a bit. Here's what we know from court documents. After the interview, Cho spent most of the afternoon driving all over LA. He made several stops in various neighborhoods. He visited his parents, his kids' schools, and eventually, he ended up parked in the parking lot of a Ross Dress for Less in Koreatown. Was he with anybody? No, he was by himself. At the Ross Dress for Less, detectives watched Cho get out of his car and carry a plastic bag to a trash can. He removed a wadded-up piece of newspaper from the bag and dropped it in the trash. He then returned to his car, still holding the plastic bag, and drove to a jack-in-the-box restaurant a few blocks away. At the jack-in-the-box, he got out and threw a few more items away in one of the restaurant's trash cans. Then, he drove to a nearby Burger King, where he briefly entered and just exited the restaurant. Detectives did not see him throw anything away there. Finally, he returned to his car and drove back to the Ross Dress for Less parking lot. This time, he parked in the same location, got out of his car, and walked over to a different trash can than before. And he threw away the plastic bag that he previously held on to. Let me get this straight. First, he goes to a Ross Dress for Less, throws some stuff away, then to a Jack in the Box, throws stuff away, then to a Burger King, doesn't throw stuff away, but then goes back to the same Ross Dress for Less and throws more stuff away? Yep. So after he leaves, detectives search all the trash cans. At the Jack in the Box, they find a burrito and a newspaper. These are discarded for, quote, lack of evidentiary value. An unevidentiary burrito. Got it. In one of the trash cans in the Ross Dress for Less parking lot, they find the plastic bag, and it's got a bunch of random papers in it. Some lists. Nothing big. In the other trash can, the first trash can Cho went to, they find the wadded-up newspaper. They pull it out. They open it up. And inside, they find five live rounds of 38 caliber ammunition. The same caliber ammunition used in the murders. Huh. So just to clarify, these are live rounds, not shell casings, meaning bullets that were never fired. Correct. But 38 caliber, that's the same as the murders. 
You know, Sharon, I hear what Paul Bishop was saying earlier. I understand that language barrier could have explained some of Cho's suspicious behavior in that interrogation room. But language barrier does not explain Cho's behavior after being interrogated. That does not explain why he's dumping bullets in a trash can. I have a lot of questions. Well, you're not the only one with questions. After witnessing this behavior and finding the bullets, the police also had questions. That same day, they called up Robin Cho and told him to come back to the station for another interrogation. Next episode, in part two, we'll be joined again by Paul Bishop. We'll be listening to and dissecting the second interrogation. The detectives may have kept their cool in the first interrogation, but in the follow-up, the tension boils over. No, don't be a freaking smartass. Do I mean, you have any guns or... or a- you have any guns on you or not? No. Or any weapons? No. Then don't be a fucking smartass to me. I'm asking you a serious question. The next episode of Strangeland, produced by Western Sound, starts right now. Want the same expert advice you get from the pros in the store while shopping online at DiscountTire.com? Meet Treadwell, your personal online tire guide that matches you with the perfect tire for your vehicle. Get your best match in one minute or less with Treadwell by Discount Tire. On this episode of Plant Killers, we'll explore one nation's most notorious fruit and vegetable killer, bad dirt. What makes bad dirt so bad? The answer, the ingredients. But fear not, true crime enthusiasts. This story has a happy ending. New miracle Grow organic raised bed and garden soil. It's made with quality organic ingredients from upcycled green waste like compost and aged bark. Unlike the other guys who can't say the same. Looks like bad dirt's murdering days are over. Thanks to miracle Grow. Join us next time on Plant Killers.